one of the <clears throat> a, a small little lesson that the Lord teaches his disciples I think he also is meant for us as well and he gives a just a great lesson in just a, a few words is a that well while he was on the garden of Gethsemane praying he uh, encouraged his disciples he told them to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak oftentimes we I, I say we I mean I speak for myself and if you've ever felt this way then you can just throw yourself in that camp as well um, I, I know for myself and for many others you may that uh, I greatly I take that I have taken that verse to try to strike at the fruit of what a temptation ultimately brings. You know, there are things that a temptation, temptation sometimes, in and of themselves, are are not, are not awful things. Uh, it is when that we that we lust at those temptations. You know, uh, <clears throat> my profession used to be uh, working at Walmart, and I dealt a lot. Y'all may know this with uh, with shoplifters and with and with people that were stealing. And for them, for a lot of them, it was a great temptation for them when they came into that store to steal something. Now, I didn't make the store itself bad. They didn't make the things that were in that store necessarily bad. It was that, it was that there were certain people that had um, an enticement within them and had a lust within them uh, to steal those things, to do those things. And I think many times that we, uh, we try to strike at the, uh, the fruit of what our temptations bring, instead of the root itself of the temptation. And that's why I think part of what the Lord was encouraging them here is uh, He says, enter not into temptation. Not of what the temptation will ultimately bring, but to avoid the temptation all of, in and of all itself. <clears throat> in, the, uh, in, in the first chapter of James, you know, He talks a lot about temptations in His first chapter. And He says in the 14th verse, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." And enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I think many times in my own life, I have looked more at those last few, at that 15th verse, and, and not the 14th verse, if that makes sense. I have tried to strike at um, what, what, uh, what that temptation bringeth forth. And what, uh, and what sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth which is death. I, I've looked so much at that without striking at the, the root of it all, where it first begins, he says, is temptation. Is a temptation. <laughs> we, if, uh, in, the, in the 14th chapter, or the 4th chapter of Proverbs, Solomon gives a, some very, I think, wise counsel on this. When he says in the 14th verse, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. He says to avoid it altogether, not even to pass by it, not even to go that way. <laughs> it, it, <clears throat> I'll go back to, to my Walmart, to, to Walmart. You know, there, I was not the best at catching shoplifters, I'll tell you. But there were many. T- but after a while, you get to notice uh, patterns and trends among people that are whenever they are tempted to steal. You'll often see them, um, you could just pick them out, you could see them just going back and forth down an empty aisle as if they were wrestling with this of whether or not they were going to steal this or not. They were just, uh, and more often than not, uh, it was very rarely you would see them uh, take what they had had and put it down and walk away. It was very rare that that would happen. <laughs> when, whenever, uh, whenever, if we know that we have a struggle with something, Whenever we, you know, if, if you know that you have a struggle with stealing something, then we should avoid even going into a store. We should avoid even going uh, down an empty aisle that we might be tempted to do something. We should avoid uh, maybe going to a store by ourselves, maybe going with somebody else. There are things that, uh, that, that many times those people could have done to keep themselves from wanting to do that. In fact, many of them would often tell me, you know, I, like, I, I didn't want to do it, like, uh, which they could obviously be lying. But a lot of times you could read it whenever you're watching them and you could tell that there was something in them that was telling them that they shouldn't be doing this. And they gave in and they did it anyway. And it's the same thing uh, with us, with anything that, uh, that we struggle with. <laughs> if we look at, I won't go there, but we look at you know, two examples of men who uh, were presented with temptations. You can look at uh, King David and then you could look at, King jo- and then you can look at Joseph. 
uh, these two men were, <laughs> were presented with temptations of, uh, of, of women, of lust. <laughs> and Joseph greatly took, the, uh, the, <laughs> took the, the wisdom of Solomon here. Not that he had read Solomon yet, but he had, but he had took this counsel to heart to avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. I would encourage you to go read on Joseph when Pharaoh's wife had attempted uh, to sleep with him, had attempted to, uh, to lure him away. And he took that counsel to heart that he, would not even, that he avoided the temptations altogether. And I think because he knew that uh, if, if he had entertained these temptations, sometimes I, you know, we tend to think that we are stronger than we really are. You know, we uh, we can we can you know say within our hearts, you know, well, I'm not going to get angry today, but then we don't avoid those things that we know lead us down that path to get angry. <laughs> you know, uh, that that, <clears throat> that uh, we'll avoid. We'll tell ourselves we're going to avoid the uh, the fruit of the temptation without striking down that root that ultimately leads to it. And uh, that is what Joseph. Uh, I, th- I think learned from this. That's what Jesus was trying to, to teach his apostles. And then when you study the the sad story of uh, David and Bathsheba, you know I, I it uh I, I would I would venture to say that uh, whenever he saw Bathsheba there bathing, that um it, it, that uh, he had a that he did have a moment to to think about this. He had a moment where he could have avoided this. He could have passed not by it. He could have walked away and just avoided uh, the temptation altogether. But uh, instead, uh, he he gave in to that temptation, right. and through that, um, in trying to hide that, he uh, had a man killed. <laughs> so there is a, that, that uh, and Jesus, in the 26th chapter of, of Matthew, he gives us what I think is the uh, another a, a great a way that we should be mindful of our temptations when he says to watch and to pray <laughs> that we are watchful. Uh, the, uh, of any, uh, if we are watchful of a of a temptation that we, you know, that we're mindful of what that could lead us down to, and that instead of and then instead of just relying on our own strengths, he says to pray. And whenever you pray to God, you you pray to Him for uh, with prayers and supplications. You go to Him to ask for strength and for uh, and for guidance and encouragement. I think Jesus here gave us the the greatest uh, weapon that we have when encountering. Any temptations, any trials that may come about in our lives, <laughs> so that we can be, uh, so that we can be like Joseph, that we can, whenever something something crosses our path that we're afraid could lead us down something that we know we should not be doing, maybe something that we know that we struggle with, <laughs> that we can watch, we can observe that, and that we can go to the Lord in prayer, that we enter not into it, because just as He said, the Spirit indeed is willing. There's a Spirit within you. There is a that a, a, of Christ who is who is within you, and that spirit is indeed willing, but our flesh is truly weak, and I speak that from experience. I thank you for your time. Enjoyed very much what went before, and I I thought of the scripture when God asked, "Can a man take fire into his bosom?" And his clothes not get burned? The answer is absolutely no. If you're going to if you're going to take fire into your bosom, if you're going to hold it, you're going to you're going to reap the fruit of holding fire. And he said, "Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not get burned?" And of course, the answer is no. And that goes along with what Brother Cole says: uh, to uh, to remove yourself, to take the root out. And everybody's got their own weaknesses. And, and remember, uh, Paul says there's no temptation. That is overtaking you, but such as is common to men. Uh, it's common to all of us. Now, there are certain things that, that might af- affect you more than me, and there are certain things that might affect me more than you. Uh, but the idea that Brother Cole brought forth is that you, you pull the root, you get down to the root of the matter, and then and that alleviates the, the fruit bringing forth sin, and sin bringing forth death. Uh, so a lot of good... Uh, admonition this morning for us and we certainly appreciate brother cole's studies in the word of god i ask that you would please pray for me my uh, my thoughts are this morning centered upon the will of god now listen there's a, there's a huge subject about the will of god uh, you know there are there are parts of god's will that are unknown to us when i when i 
when I say unknown, that means that as in when, when James said, do not go or do not say that tomorrow I'm going to such and such city and I'm going to buy and sell and get gain. He says, don't say that. He said, what you need to say is that if the Lord is willing, first of all, I'm going to live. Because he says, you don't even know what, on to, what, what tomorrow brings. And I don't know what tomorrow brings. And so our, our petition to God in that, in that sense is if the Lord is willing, then we'll live first. Because, you know, you can't make money if you're dead, but you can if you're alive. <laughs> then you can buy and sell and get gain. So first of all, is, is, uh, is you say, if the Lord's willing. And so we don't know about certain things of our life, but we petition to God that if God's willing. So the Apostle Paul wanted to go back to see the church of, of, of Corinth, right? And he said, I hope to come unto you shortly if the Lord be willing. And then uh, to the church at Ephesus in the 18th chapter of Ephesians, he said, I hope to see your face again if the Lord is willing. Now, so there are things that we don't know. But we ask if the Lord's willing, then, then we'll do this and that. But there are things about the will of God that God leaves no question to it whatsoever. <clears throat> There's no debate about it. There, there can be no uh, scratching of the head, no wondering. Because God is very direct, very plain. And he simply presents the will of God. And, there, and two that I want to primarily cover this morning, that is his will within himself concerning the Son of God, and then His will concerning us. And they both are the will of God. And, and, and both are, now they're different. And I want, that's what I want to show this morning. But they are the will of God, and we don't have to guess at either one of them. We do not have to, to ponder and wonder about what's God's will concerning Christ and concerning Himself. Or what's God's will concerning me. Because God is plain, direct, so that there is no need to question. There's no if God's willing. He just says, this is it. This is my will. Now, the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that will that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there is an eternal purpose in God. Now, the eternal purpose in God is not to, to roll the dice, send the Son of God, let Him die, and then see how it turns out. That is not God's eternal purpose. And I want to show you that that is, that is not the will of God. It can't be, or the will of God would be based upon sinners. That is, the eternal purpose of God would be put in the hands of people like you and me. Does that sound like a good will? No, no it don't. It sounds like that is a one that's going to fail from the beginning. So God does not even uh, uh, include us in our opinion about this. So there is no, uh, so when, you know, the, the Apostle Paul said, Who hath known the mind of the Lord and been his counselor? Have you ever counseled God on what he needed to do? Anybody ever had the authority to counsel God or felt like you had the authority that, that God, you're not doing this correctly? No, nobody in their right mind would do that. And, uh, and there, are, there are certain things about God's will, and this is one of those that even Nebuchadnezzar, the old king of, uh, of Babylon, can say he worketh his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or ask him or say to him, What doest thou? So the Lord Jesus Christ would say concerning the will of God in the very model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Now, those are the wills I want to talk about this morning. Now, in that there is an eternal purpose of God, there must be a will to bring that purpose to pass. So that God must have a will because there's a purpose. And so that must be brought to pass by whatever means God, who is the only one that can bring his will to pass, would do. And he gives us the very, uh, uh, he, he lays out the very way he does it. Now, in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul says in the eighth verse, unto me who am the less who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given? Not only the grace of salvation, but the grace of the gospel, the grace of the knowledge of God and how God, of His eternal design and His eternal purpose, because there is one, and Paul's going to talk about it. <clears throat> Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, 
There is a fellow, listen, there is a fellowship of this mystery that you and I have. And Paul's design is that I want all men, whoever is a part of this mystery, whoever is a part of what I am talking about, that God has so designed their eternal purpose, I want them to know why, who, and how. And that when everybody understands this, there is a fellowship in that so that we don't argue with one another concerning it. That you would not say, well, often, I don't really believe what you're preaching, even though it's in the Bible. And I would not say to you, I don't believe what you say, even though what you say is in the Bible. But that there be a fellowship, a unity of this mystery. And that takes dividing God's Word, right? It takes rightly dividing it. It's important to rightly divide God's Word. To make all men see whether it's a fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. He did not care to release it. He did not care to, to give it to the, to the prophets, to the kings of old like he does us. He gave it to them in types and shadows. But to you and I, guys, God has made bare his holy arm. He has truly pulled the veil of heaven open and says, This is my will concerning you in Christ. <clears throat> they were hid in God who created all things in Christ to the intent that now until the principalities and powers in heavenly places might, might be made known, might be known by the church, that you and I can know this. And this is not the primitive Baptist only. <laughs> this is God's church. This is God's, the, the body of Christ, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. But particularly in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is known here. Might be made known the church by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose that tells me there is one which He purposed in Christ our Lord. Now, if if the purpose of God and His eternal purpose is in Christ and in Christ alone, and we you know we have the song in our book in Christ alone is, is actually the name of that song. In Christ alone, the whole, in other words, the, the whole ball of wax, if you will, of salvation is in Christ. He doesn't say his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ and Kevin Lofton. Again, that would, certainly that would be a, that, you know, that would make that shaky ground, wouldn't it? So, Let's go up a little bit in the, in the third chapter. Paul says this in the third verse, And how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So now he's telling us, I know the mystery. Then, then there's parentheses. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read. And so all, all we have to do is go read. You know, that, that's pretty easy. When Paul says, go read what I said, we just go read what he says. So when we read what Paul says... When you read, you may understand my knowledge, Paul says, in the mystery. So, let's take in hand to do what the Apostle Paul says. Let's go to the first chapter. That is a few words that, that we find the eternal will of God. At least a lot about it. Okay? So, in the uh, third verse of the first chapter of, of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as He hath chosen us in Him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So there is God's choice. God chose you and everybody that God has ever loved, ever will love, and will ever save, were chosen in Christ. This goes back to Adam. This will extend out to the, to the last day of this earth before the Lord comes back. This is the only system of salvation. This is God's eternal purpose. This is God's will that He works out Himself. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, God takes you from the family of Adam, puts you into His. Predestinated us to the adoption children. How does he do this? By Jesus Christ. To himself. Christ is the means by which God makes peace. Christ is the means by which God 
redeems. Christ is the peace. Christ is the way by by which Jesus, by which God can quicken an individual, making them united with God, or a son of God, or a daughter of God. It is all by Christ, and that's it. According to the good pleasure of His will. So there you see. It is the will of God. It is the good pleasure of His will. There is a pleasure God has in saving people. This pleasure is in Christ. So if it's in Christ, that is, you say, is Christ alone? Yes, it's Christ alone. So that this thing all centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that the Father or the Spirit hath not a part in this. They do. They do. They have a part in this. This is... This is God's, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But this is God's system of salvation. This is God's eternal purpose. That He purposed in Himself according to His own good pleasure and His own will. And this is all to the praise of the glory of His grace. You know, to understand grace is, is vital to understand the will of God in procuring it and giving it on our behalf. It is, what he does is to his own praise. God doesn't care if you believe it or not. I say he doesn't care. He does care if you believe it. But by your believing or not believing this system of salvation will not deter God from getting the glory of saving his people. Many of God's children would, would buck up at what I am saying this morning and fight against God when one day in their heavenly state they're going to glorify God for the grace in it. Now, I want to glorify God while I'm on this earth. I want to know the mystery. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know who. And God gives us all this. And it's all to the praise of the glory of His grace. So when we come into the house of God, listen, you don't, you don't exalt yourself, do you? We should never exalt ourselves in the house of God. We don't sing praises to one another. We sing praises to our Christ. The means by which, and the only means by which, we will be in heaven someday. And that's it. <clears throat> to the praise of glory and grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the blood. Jesus Christ made you accepted to God. There's the acceptance. It is, it is not ever in the Bible. You'll never find in the Bible about you accepting God. It doesn't even make sense that the supreme must be accepted by the inferior. It makes a whole lot better sense that the supreme has to accept the worm, the inferior one, and the means by which he does it is Jesus Christ. So that Christ, so that you are now accepted by God. Your person, your being, your body and soul belonging to him. That is by Christ. Christ made you acceptable to God. When Christ died on the cross, you became acceptable. Other than that, there is no accepting you. Other than that, you and I are left to our own works and ways. Other than that, we'll be eternally separated from God and there we'll be living in misery for all eternity. This is the only way out of it. It's Christ alone. <clears throat> in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And remember, according to the riches of His grace. Still talking about grace. Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, and even making known to this, even making this known to us, Paul says, is according to his good pleasure. God means for us to understand his will, doesn't he? According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation to the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You think, does Paul seem like here there is any doubt in his mind who the Lord is coming after when the fullness of times come? That is, when, this, when the world's over, when, when, uh, when, the, when, when the body of Christ is full, when the last child of grace, the last one that God gave to the Son, the Spirit of God quickens them, the body of Christ becomes full, and this thing comes to an end. Do you think Paul has any questions and doubt when the Lord comes back in the dispensation of fullness of time that He will not gather in one all things in Christ, whether they be things in heaven... Because those souls in heaven have got to reunite with their bodies, don't they? There's a resurrection. And, or in earth, whether they're under the earth, in the grave, or standing on the earth, there's going to be a resurrection. Now those who are alive and remain will never see death. There will be people on this earth who will never taste 
of a corporal natural death when Jesus Christ comes back, they're going to be changed in a moment, an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And they're going to meet, they're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. Best news ever, isn't it? <laughs> That's good stuff. Good stuff. <clears throat> that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on the earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I don't find myself giving God advice in this. God, has God ever asked you of your opinion or your consent? Of course not. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, if God works things after the counsel of his own will, who in here would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but who would say it's going to fail? Nobody. Nobody would raise their hand. Surely nobody would raise their hand. If God works, if God wills, then God works his will. Who can say it's going to fail? It cannot fail. It will not fail. Or God's a failure, and we refuse to say that. We refuse to. Now, as, as the eternal purpose of God goes, and as, the, and as the good pleasure of our Lord is in Christ Jesus, let's see if the Lord Jesus Christ does not, He Himself, say just what Paul says, only in different words. Let's go to, let's go to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Because what Paul says, remember he said, I've, I got by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, I, I simply did not come up with this on my own. This is not, a, you know, this is not an idea that just sprang up in me and I, I'm going to try to work it out and tell you about it. And we'll see how it works. This was given directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I go to John chapter 6, in the fourth chapter, you don't have to go in the fourth chapter of John, Jesus Christ tells his disciples, he says, my meat is to do, my meat is to do the will of God. Notice what Christ's meat or what Christ's purpose is. This is what Christ Jesus himself said was his purpose, is to do the will of God and to finish his work. Now what is God's work? It's eternal life. Jesus Christ said, It is my meat to do the will of God. It is my meat to finish His work. So when the, listen, you think the Son of God was surprised at His success on the cross? Do you think when the Lord Jesus Christ was, uh, uh, was, was, was being crucified on the, and, and nailed to a cross, do you think He ever thought, I can't believe I made it this far. I wasn't sure if I was going to get here or not. You know, there's a lot of times I, I get to a point in life and I think, I don't know how in the world I got here. You know, I look back on my life and I, I, on what I've been blessed with and I just, I'm in awe of, of, of God and I think, I don't know how I'm so blessed. How, how did I get here? Jesus Christ did not look at himself and say, and within himself, within himself say, man, I just didn't think I'd ever get to this point. He said, I'm going to finish the work. And then he says, it is finished. You know, when, when the Lord says, I'm going to finish it, and then he says it's finished, he didn't say his part's finished. He said, it is finished. The will of God is done. When the Son of God says, it is finished, he immediately bowed his head, gave up the ghost, and said, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit. Here it is. It's over. It's done. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Now, do you think, that the Son of God, when He says it is finished, is now contemplating His success of whether or not it's going to achieve God's eternal purpose. Now, if, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not finish the complete work of salvation, He could not have said it's finished. If the Son of God simply did a part of it and, just, and said, all right, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the ball to the to the 20-yard line, and then it's up to you to get on in the end zone. I'm going, listen, I, I've done what I could. I, 
so which my question would be, if he didn't finish it, what part did he do? Some folks say, well, he, did, he died for the Adam sin, but yours is still left to you. And yours will never be forgiven until you do such and such. Some people say, well, he died for all sins, but nobody's sin is ever really put away until the sinner complies. I don't see that to be finished work. To me, that's open work. That's things undone. That's, that's, you know, that, that's something Jesus Christ will never say himself. And if he don't say it, then certainly Paul's not going to say it. I want you to know your salvation. I want you to know that your salvation it rests solely in the hands of God. That is his eternal purpose. That is his will concerning you. So the Son of God says in, in John chapter 6, uh, <clears throat> John's Gospel, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye have seen me and believe not. Not, You know, here I am, the Son of God. And some of the people didn't believe on it. And then Jesus Christ starts a series of quotes that the Apostle Paul built what he said on in Ephesians right from it. Jesus Christ says, All that the Father giveth me. Sounds like there's some chosen into Christ, right? Sounds like they were chosen. God says, These are my people, or our people. You take them. This is before the world began. The Son of God, as their surety, says, In the fullness of time, I will go. <clears throat> All that the Father giveth me, Jesus Christ says, shall come to me. There's no question marks. Simply, all that God gave me shall come to me. In John chapter 12, he said, I, and if I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, will draw all men to me. Whoever he's lifted up for, they're coming to him. Folks who say, well, your doctrine leaves people out. Listen, if God, if God saved one person, ever, one person on this earth, if Christ died for one person, God, it would still be to the glory of the grace of Almighty God. It still would be. Because we look at things from, from the human perspective that we, listen, we all deserve a chance. We all deserve to make the choice. Listen, we, if we got what we deserved, y'all, we don't really want to talk about that, do we? I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about what I deserve. I do not deserve a chance with God. I don't deserve anything from God. But that's what grace is all about. It is unmerited favor. That is the definition of grace. So Jesus Christ, when He said, All the Father giveth me shall come to me. And folks say, well, what if there's somebody out there who wants to be saved, who loves the Lord, and they... And, and they're not included in what you're saying. Listen, there is no such person. They don't exist. If there's somebody in this world that loves the Lord, it is only because He first loved them, and this is the action of God's love for them. This is the result of His love. Herein is, herein is the love of God, that He sent forth the Son of God to be the propitiation for your sins. So every sinner out here in this world that has ever felt their need and their longings to go to heaven, and their desires to be with the Son of God, to praise His name, listen, you can just, you can chalk it up. That that's one of those, they've come to the Lord. He says they shall. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. You say, you mean there's people out there that, that, that do not love the Lord? Absolutely. You know why? The love of God's not in them. Jesus Christ says some of them. If the Son of God says it, I, I, I simply believe it. He says, he says to some of the Pharisees, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. That would be my case. With the only exception this, is that God puts His love in here. If love is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is, then none of us would love God until God puts the love in us to love Him back with. That makes sense. And that's what I mean when Jesus Christ says, All the Father giveth me shall come to me. The object of God's love, God will put His love in their hearts. He will make them convicted of their sins. And the Son of God says this, All the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. For I came down from heaven... Not to do my own will. And that is not to say that Jesus Christ 
will was different than God is simply saying this, that it was not my design only, but this has been the design of the eternal God before the world began. I came from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and this is it. Now, when the Lord explains it, when the Lord, when the Lord gives you the explanation of it, it's just good to believe it. And it feels good to believe it. This is the will of God. This is the will of God and His eternal purpose. <clears throat> this is the will of Him that sent me. That of all which He hath given me, not one less, every one of them, I should lose nothing. But I'll raise it up again the last day. No wonder Paul said that in the fullness of time, he's going to come back and collect all things in Christ. All of them. All the Father gave him. Jesus Christ says, I'm going to die for them. I'm coming back to get them. They are mine. I will make them mine. They shall come to me. Not only in the new birth, but in the last call also. But I'll raise it up again the last day. Now that is the eternal will. Now the next part is kind of our identity. How you identify yourself with this eternal will. Christ doesn't leave us without questions, right? He does not. And this is the will of Him that sent me. So that you know that everyone who seeth the Son by our faith, because faith is a fruit of the Spirit, and believeth on Him, and, him all, and He alone for salvation, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up again the last day. That's an identity. That's how you identify yourself as one of those that have come to Christ. That Christ says they shall come. You say, I believe on the Son of God. Praise God for that. I believe that my salvation rests in the hands of the Son of God. Praise God for that. There's no way you believe that truly and solely without already being born in the Spirit of God If you're and, and, and so that you are brought to Christ, right? Praise God. This is the will of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ concerning salvation. The, uh, and, the, and the Son of God in the, uh, in, the book of, uh, in the book of Psalms, in the 40th Psalm. Let's go to the book. So this, this is nothing that's newly come up. Because Paul, Paul repeats this in the, uh, in the book of Hebrews, in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Paul talks about when he saith, when he come into this world, there is some time when Jesus Christ was on this earth, and we don't know when, it's not recorded in the Scriptures, but sometimes on this earth when Jesus Christ was here, He said these words. For Paul says, For He saith, when He came into the world, He saith this, that sacrifice and offerings for sin, which are by the blood of bulls and goats, God has no pleasure in them. Not one of those sacrifices ever took away sin. Now, that, that's a problem with the Hebrew people, right? Not really us Gentiles. Not really us Gentiles. Paul had to tell them, none of those sacrifices ever did you any good eternally. Then said I, lo, hello, I come. I come to do thy will. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. The only book that was intact here are the five books of Moses. Now, it, there, you know, there's always speculation of who, who, what, what, what is it written. And, there, and there's tons in those five books about Christ. But I, most people agree that it's back to Genesis 3.15. When, when God told Satan that <clears throat> the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. And you're going to bruise his heel. It's written of me, Jesus. This, this, in other words, this is not new stuff. Christ said in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I come to do thy will. I'm going to bruise Satan. I'm going to destroy his works. I'm not going to try to do it. But I'm going to do it fully and freely for all those that the Father hath given me. And I'm going to raise them up again the last day. So here he says in the 40th Psalm, 7th verse, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Now notice this, I delight to do thy will. Now do you think Jesus Christ would delight in something he wasn't sure how it's going to turn out? 
It's rare that any of you or me could go ahead and delight in something before we even start doing it, right? I mean, you know, you, you take something in hand and, and uh, you can't already go ahead and say, well, that's my finished, pro- my finished product. I can envision it. That's the way it's going to be because you get started, you just might make, you may have to alter your, your you know, your uh, some of the uh, design of it because uh, you may not be able to get it quite right. But Jesus Christ said, concerning the will of God, He already delighted to do it. I delight to do thy will. Now that's strange, isn't it? What, what, what kind of delight would there be if the Son of God was not sure He's going to finish the work of God and do the will of God? What delight would there be if the Son of God felt like, you know, this, this is a crapshoot. I'm, I'm going to do what I can to see how this thing turns out. Jesus Christ delighted to do it because Jesus Christ knew He would finish it. I delight to do thy will. You know, in, in, in the Apostle Paul, in the, uh, in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, concerning the Christian race, you know, if you, if you ever get tired of running this race, if you ever become weary in this, <clears throat> this is the thing that ought to deter it. The Apostle Paul said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. It was a joy. It was a delight for the Son of God to bear your sins. That's remarkable. That's love. That is the eternal purpose of God. That Listen, that, that is it. So uh, when, when, uh, when, when, when Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 53 concerning, uh, this, is, this is like God's view 700 years before, 700 years or something before the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesies concerning that, that the Lord shall lay upon him our iniquities, he shall bruise him, and that the that the Son of that God shall shall uh, make his soul an offering for sin. He shall prolong his days. No, I'm not going to leave him in the grave. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. His hands. You think God ever questioned the result of the Son of God's work? Never. Never. The pleasure of the Lord is going to prosper in the hands of God. Or in the hands of the yeah, hands of God, Son of God, who was God Himself manifest in the flesh. Now, this is God's eternal will. There's nothing attached to it. Doesn't, doesn't say this cut that. That the pleasure of the Lord is going to prosper in the hands of Christ and then you and me. You know what? It doesn't sound like to me at all that God has ever questioned His own eternal purpose. Or there's ever any uncertainty about it. Because there's not. Now, when I speak of the will of God eternally, that's how I speak. And I'll speak nothing else. That's it. Because that's what God speaks. And that's the only way it can be. If, you, if you're a good Bible student, you'll understand that is the only way it can be. And if you, and if you understand total depravity, you're going to understand this is the only way it can be. This is it. God has to work this thing out according to His own will, to, to His own pleasure. And then, and then the last part of here in, uh, in the 40th chapter of Psalms, He says, Thy law or Thy will is within my heart. Ah, how about that? Not written there, but there from eternity. The law of God is in the heart of Christ. If the will of God is in the heart of Christ and you're part of that will, guess where you were? In the heart of Christ. In the heart of Christ. Now, I want to swap over here. I want to talk about the will of God concerning us. Separate from this will. God does not include you and I at all, with the exception of being recipients of this. But did you read anything, or did I read you anything at all, Concerning you and I, our, our, our part in, of helping Christ do what He simply delights to do Himself. 
Nobody, nobody heard me say anything because there's nothing there. I would have to, I'd have to inject some untruth in that, and I refuse to do it. I want to talk about the glory of God's grace when it comes to His eternal purpose. Now, but what about our, what about God's will concerning us? That was God's will concerning His Son. All right. Well, let's go to the book of Philippians. All right. So. So the book of Philippians, in the first chapter, there is... So you kind of got to read it all and get, get what's in the beginning before you understand this next one. Because it's one of the most misunderstood scriptures there, there are. So Philippians chapter 1, first of all, verse 6. Being confident, Paul says. Now how can Paul have confidence if he didn't know the will of God, his eternal purpose? Being confident of this very thing, that he, which is God which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now that is a good work of grace. Paul said, I'm confident, you Philippian brethren, you brothers and sisters who have, who have no doubt shown a love of God, you're a part of a, of a church kingdom. You're, you're a part of a body of believers. You have taken it up in your... In your uh, uh, your cross, you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You have shown forth a faith, a love for Him. So there is proof to me, Paul says, that you are His people, that you've already been brought to Him. Paul said, I'm confident of this. I'm confident He that began the good work in you will perform it. There is no question the Apostle Paul had concerning the eternal life of the Philippian brethren and sisters of that church. Now, they, they're not, their eternal life didn't come by the baptism. It didn't come by their belief. We we talked about the eternal purpose. It came by Christ alone. Christ alone. And that's it. But now let's look at the second chapter. All right? Now listen, we're going to get a little personal with with a will. Because remember, Christ said, This will is in my heart. God, uh, thy will or thy thy, thy law is written in my heart. Or or, or here in my heart, not written, but it's an eternal will. That was naturally there. In the second chapter, Paul talks about letting this mind be in you, which is in Christ, right? In other words, let this mind govern you. The same mind that governed Jesus Christ. If you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, then this mind is in you. But Paul says you let this, let this, let it have its perfect work. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ. And it talks about Jesus Christ humbling himself. Becoming obedient unto death. Being a servant. Though he was God. You may question that Jesus Christ was not God. Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And yet he became humble, became a servant. And humbled himself in obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. That's what this is based upon. All right, this, that's what this next scripture is based upon. So Paul, now in a, in a prison house in Rome, under the authority of Caesar, being placed in the, in the prison, writes them this. In the twelfth verse, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, that is, when I was with you, I could speak face to face and I could see this in you. But now that I'm absent from you, I beseech you to do this, to continue on. <coughs> Work out your own salvation. Now, taken out of context, if we say, well, hey, they, he's talking about going, going to heaven. Did not Paul just say, I, I'm confident that the good work in you will be performed until the day of Christ? But what is this salvation then that we work out? And what is it based upon? What, what is this salvation that we work out and what is it based upon? Well, let's just read. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Huh. So now God works in you. Now you can't work something out that's not in, right? So everybody that's born of God has a will of God in them concerning them. God says, work it out. Both to will and to do of 
His good pleasure. Now, we talked about Jesus Christ. Remember that the pleasure of the Lord would prosper in His hands. That's His eternal pleasure, right? That's His eternal purpose. But what about the will of God concerning us being His servants? That's what this is based upon. Will that prosper in our hands? It's still His good pleasure. It's a different pleasure, but it's a good one. It's according to the pleasure of God that, the, that everybody that belongs to Jesus Christ, everybody that He was crucified for, has the will of God in them. And this will that, they are, that God puts in them, God says, you work it out. Not only, do you, not only is the will there, so we, can, we can't say, well, I feel it, but I just don't want to do it. Because, listen, you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God had before ordained that you and I should walk in them. This is a part of God's will. We don't have to question this. There's no scratching of the head. There's no saying, well, what is God's will? I, I, I know I'm a child of God, but I don't really know what to do. You'll know what to do. <laughs> First thing you have to do, friend, is is work it out. And there is a salvation in obedience to God. There is truly a deliverance for you and me, not from hell, not from from our sins, but, but a deliverance from a lot of things. A salvation indeed in the obedience of being a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, So we can say, I have the will... But I just don't want to do. That's not what God says. God says you are working you both to will and to do. The Son of God said in the, in the last chapter, or the last part of uh, His Sermon on the Mount, He says, He that cometh unto me and heareth my words and doeth it. I'm going to tell you, He's like a wise man. Builds his house on the rock. He said, folks who hear my words and don't do it, they like building a house on the sand. He said, and, and it's going to fall. He's talking about God's children, folks. He's talking about the Lord's people. Because you can't hear something. You've got to have ears to hear, right? He that ears to hear, let him hear. But then don't just hear. Then you've got to do. You've got to work. This is God's will concerning you. We don't, we don't simply have, we don't get the opportunity of saying, I am so thankful that the pleasure of God prospered in Christ's hands. My eternal, the eternal will of God Prospered in the hands of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm done with that. That's last. That's, so I, so I'm, uh, I'm finished. Because God doesn't require anything of me. And I'm not going to give it. Yes, He does. Oh, yes, He does. Now, we can, we can see. Listen, this is a vast subject. Let's go, uh, let's go to back to the book of Ephesians. Paul talks about the, the will of God in, in, in several instances. And I'm not going to get to all of them. But we're going to talk about just about a few of them. And then we're going we're gonna to draw this thing to a close. All right, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> 15, See then that you walk circumspectly. And that's a, a long, fancy word, but simply it means that you walk paying attention. So, so how many people here, if, you, if you're in the enemy's, uh, say, say you're in a war and you were going across a minefield, all right? You're going across a minefield, and, and every one of those mines out there, when they buried them, left a little indention. You can see where they're at. They're kind of hard, but you can see where all of them are at. How many, how many, how many of us would, would, would be on our phones and just start walking, Googling this and Googling this? No, you wouldn't. You'd be, you'd be, hey, there's one here. I'm going this way. There's one here. I'm going to turn this way. You're going to be walking circumspectly. You're going to be walking with your eyes open, understanding things. You're going to want to know because, listen, you want to get to the other side of that without getting blown up. And listen, I want to get to, to the grave without being blown up by Satan. <laughs> I don't want him to destroy my joys of Christ. I don't want him to destroy this church. Do you? Of course not. I don't, I don't, want, the, I don't want Satan to drive me away from the house of God. I, want to, I, I don't want Satan to drive me away from my wife. So I have got to walk circumspectly. In other words, I've got to look out there and see what's going on. And is it, is it what I need to be involved with? You walk circumspectly, the Apostle Paul says. Uh, not as fools. He's talking about regenerated people, right? He's talking about the Ephesian church. Don't walk like a fool walks. But as a wise man. Redeeming the time. That just simply means making good use of your time on this earth 
while you are here to walk according to God's will. There's the best legacy you'll ever leave on this earth. It's not how many, how much money you had, how much things you possessed, how many trophies you got. If you're the star quarterback of New England Patriots and then what goes on to Tampa Bay and you got so many Super Bowl trophies, you think God cares about stuff like that? Absolutely not. There's nothing about that that, that is pleasing to God. That's, that's something for the glory of man. There's the only thing that, that's pleasing with God, folks, is what you give to Him for the glory of His name's sake. The best legacy you'll ever leave on this earth is if you walk circumspectly and you use your time like a wise man. Because the days are evil. There's enough to pull us out. Brother Cole talked about the temptation. There's enough to draw us away from the will of God. And, and there were evil days in this time. There's evil times now. Listen, we talk about things in America. We talk about things the way they are right now. I could, could you imagine what the, what the Israelites talked about before their Babylonian captivity? They're probably like, man, I've never seen it like this before in my whole life. I never thought we'd be that, like this. In every part of history, there's, it's always an evil time. If men are involved, it's an evil time. So we live in an evil time. You walk circumspectly, not as fools. You redeem your time, Paul says, because the day are, days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now I need, I need to understand what God's will is concerning me. I know what His eternal purpose is. I know who, I know who, who, who said, I'll, I'm going to do thy will. I came to do it, and I, and I did it. He finished the work. That was His meat. What's my meat? It's still, God's, it's still God's good pleasure. He said it was. Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling for His God, worketh you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And listen, you find this all through the Bible. I can't, again, we, we can't exhaust this, but but in uh, but in the book of uh, in the book of Romans, Romans 12 chapter. So one of the great scriptures the Apostle Paul speaks of concerning the will of God is something you're doing right now. Right now. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Christ was a living sacrifice, wasn't he? He was the Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish. That's your eternal purpose, God's purpose in you. He offered himself a living sacrifice. Now, if that living Christ is in you, guess what you are? You're a living sacrifice. Your body houses the Son of God. Your body houses the Spirit of grace. So that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Then he says, be not conformed to this world. Remember, the days are evil. Don't be conformed. What would the, if, if the world's had its opportunity in the end result, do you think there'd be a religious place on this earth? Most, no, no, of course not. You think the, you think that would be uh, chaos? If the world had its way, uh, of course it would. Would there be a Buffalo Primitive Baptist Church if the world had its way and we simply conformed to it and said, you know what, they seem to have a better time in this world. They get by a, a lot better. They seem to be happier. I think I'll just go along with them. I'll follow the multitudes to do evil because everybody's doing it. Surely it's okay. Listen, that is one sure sign that you don't need to do it if everybody's doing it. Do not follow the multitudes, do evil. If we, if Paul said, and that's, so this is walking circumspectly. Look at the world. Study it. You're supposed to study it. You're supposed to try the spirits, right? See whether they're of God. Look at the world. Don't be conformed to it. Don't conform yourself to that. Because that's not the will of God concerning you. It's not. He says, be not conformed to this world. Sounds like there's another one you should be conformed to, right? Or, or at least the heavenly world and the, and the, and the uh, law that come out of it. 
But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what you're doing today. It's, you're, what you're doing today, you're proving God's will. This is my body. It's not mine. It belongs to the Lord, really. Paul said, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are both His. You presented a living sacrifice. It's a holy one because there's a holy God in you. It's an acceptable one because there's an acceptable God in you. It's a reasonable service to do the will of God. You're not conformed to the world, at least not today. Don't be, listen, don't be after this. Don't be conformed to the world. But renew your mind in Christ. Renew, renew, renew. That's daily. That's daily. We all have to do this because we have tendencies. We have tendencies. Or this wouldn't be in here. Renew your mind with a, with a constant prayer, supplications to God. Because this is God's will concerning. You're proven part of God's will today. Is, is that it? That's, that's not all. Let's go to Thessalonians. And then we're, we're, gonna, we're coming to an end, y'all. Look at here. I'm doing better than I thought. I thought it was a little later. Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. 5th chapter. Paul says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without season. 16th verse. In everything give thanks. And then he just tells us, for this is the will of God concerning you. This is a part of God's will concerning you. And everything give thanks. I'm not talking about for evil. But if you read the if you read the Thessalonian letter, you're going to know what you need to be thankful for. First of all, Paul says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Huh? Why? Does Paul say that? Because our because the word or the gospel, the gospel did not come unto you in word only, but in power and in demonstration and in the Holy Ghost. So the so the gospel is a part of the thing that we're to be thankful for. It ought not to be a burden to us. Listen, the gospel is the is the grand a uh, uh, display of God's sovereign grace. And also it, it tells us His will concerning us. And this is one of those things that in everything we give thanks to God. You say, well, and, and this is not new. Go to the 116th Psalm. This is nothing new. In the 116th Psalm, David says, Psalm 116, 17th verse, I will offer to thee, what? The sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. That's what we're doing today, isn't it? Paying our vows. He's worthy of it. <laughs> He's worthy of it. In the courts of the Lord's house. Right in the midst of it. Right here. In the midst of the old Jerusalem. And that's where it was back then. But guess what? This, it's different now. Right? There is no temple anymore. The Lord's church supersedes, built by Christ, and is the place, is the Lord's house. We offer our, prayer, our, our thanksgiving, sacrifices of thanksgiving. In other words, this morning, were you thankful that you got to worship God? Were you thankful that you were able to praise His name? Did you offer to God those sacrifices? Did you consider His eternal purpose? Did you consider that my sins were laid upon Jesus Christ? And, and, and my God is worthy of my thanksgiving. Sometimes I don't consider this. And listen, when I preach, I preach to myself as much as I preach to you. This is an eternal God with an eternal purpose. And that will is in Christ. And then he has a will toward us, which is after his good pleasure. The last scripture I'm going to read is in the book of Hebrews again. The last chapter of Hebrews. <clears throat> Paul said in 13:15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Because when you do it, you're doing it by Christ. 
If you offer what God gave you to offer, you're doing it by the Lord Himself. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Don't sound like we got we need much time off from this, does it? <laughs> that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Listen, we can go on in that part right there forever. That's an important part, but I'm going to skip down and just read this last. Now, the 20th verse of that chapter says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, or His eternal purpose, right? That great shepherd of who? The sheep. He's a shepherd. He knows the shepherd of no goats, right? The shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do His will. Sound like every good work is the will of God. To do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. This is all done through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And that doesn't mean in heaven only, y'all. That will go on forever in heaven. But guess what? We're not in heaven yet, are we? We're on this earth. Does God desire glory on this earth? Did not the apostle say, Glory be to God in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now let me tell you this. When you leave the house of God today, and you get out and you live and you work and you do your, do your things that we, we are, you know, we're commanded to do, remember that there's still a will of God concerning you. There's a way you're supposed to talk and act. A way you're not supposed to. A way you're supposed to dress. A way you're not supposed to. A way you're supposed to uh, to treat others. And a way you're not supposed to. All of this is contained in the will of God concerning you. It's well-pleasing in His sight. Sometimes, sometimes they're hard things. But they're God's things. So remember that if we work out what God has worked in, there will be a salvation for us. If we... Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus in us. And by the way, it says after that that God highly exalted Jesus Christ, right? Does not James say this? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due time He will exalt you. Not the way He exalts Christ, but there will be an exalting. And there is salvation in that exaltation. May God give us the grace to understand his will may give us the grace to be not conformed to the world. May it give us the grace, friends, to renew the, the, the spirit of our minds daily and to offer thanksgiving to God continually. May it give us the grace to be thankful for His eternal purpose that was in Christ and then His will that He has worked in us for His own glory's sake.